But most fundamentally, the problem with hard is that it's hard. And in its hardness, it becomes at one level inconvenient, at another unappealing. But I've come to believe that that perceived inconvenience or that sense of not being appealing is really a mask for fear on one hand or sacrifice on another. Welcome to Insert Human. This is a show that is not for everyone. It's for seekers, people like you, hopefully, who are searching for solutions to your problems, the world's problems, and everything in between. The conversations to come are going to show you how finding the truth of our humanity is the magic key to solving pretty much anything. Between my monologues, my dialogues with brilliant guests, and your good questions, you're going to learn how to insert human into everything and in doing so, realize a better life and one day a better world. If you're human, as I am, summer has a certain impact on us. The work pace lessens, the days lengthen, and there's a subtle inclination to take the easy path. I've been thinking a lot lately about the difference between easy and hard and the choices we make on a daily basis to seek the former and often avoid the latter. And I've been thinking that there might be a massive missed opportunity in that. Seth Godin, who I'm sure you know, wrote a piece a while back about easy and hard in education. His pitch is that education tends to underperform because the system, suppliers and consumers, institutions and the students, are focused on convenient, otherwise known as easy, versus effective, otherwise known as hard. I think that dichotomy applies to all learning, not just education, not just the stuff that schools serve up. Because getting to real understanding about pretty much anything requires deep, hard, and sustained thought, also known as mental effort. And our wiring is really not suited for sustained mental effort. We prefer to live on the veneer. I think that's particularly true today in what could be called, should be called a soundbite world. And that soundbite world flies in the face of the other part of of getting to real understanding, which is having a voracious appetite for relevant content and data to help one form one's grounded, rigorous, and valid, or at least more valid thought. But most fundamentally, the problem with hard is that it's hard. And in its hardness, it becomes at one level inconvenient, at another unappealing. But I've come to believe that that perceived inconvenience or that sense of not being appealing is really a mask for fear on one hand or sacrifice on another fear and sacrifice. So let's think about that relative to some big topics in our lives. The first one is marriage. Creating a marriage is really, really hard. I am in my second marriage. My first marriage lasted for about 13 years. My current marriage and hopefully my last marriage, we are in, I believe, year eight. And even the second time around, I find it to be really, really hard. Not because I don't love my wife, I do. 
but because two people collaborating, living together 24-7, aligning, syncing up, is just hard. I don't care who the two people are. But it's also hard because it requires two things that I think humans are not particularly good at. One is honest communication, and the other is constant compromise. And if you listen to my me versus we talk, you'll understand why we're not so good at compromise, let alone constant compromise. Honest communication requires courage, which is the opposite of fear. Fear is what gets in the way of our capacity to tell each other the truth. Constant compromise requires sacrifice. And back to me versus we, we're not very good at making sacrifices unless we absolutely have to. So I believe that great marriages are built on some combination of taking on one's fears and being willing to make sacrifices. And again, the taking on one's fears in order to tell the truth is key. Because if you are telling each other half-truths, you're not telling each other the truth, you're basically operating on very, very shaky ground. And my view is the lack of truth, the avoidance of telling the truth, ultimately causes the dissolution of the partnership. And my, my personal example of that is my uh, now ex-wife and I, when we went into marriage counseling at the end of our 13th year, the marriage counselor asked her to come back to the next session with a list of all the times I had ever let her down. The following week, she showed up with a, a legal pad page. For those of you who don't remember legal pads, they were yellow pieces of paper that were eight and a half by 14. And she showed up with a full page of occasions where I had let her down. Now, please understand I am not a terrible person. I'm not an asshole. I was doing the best I could. But apparently, there were a number of moments in our life together where I had not behaved the way she expected me to behave. And the more problematic part of that is that she had held them within. She had, I refer to it as her avoidance inventory. She had avoided telling me the truth about what I had or had not done. And they were in her, they were in her soul, in her psyche, in her spirit. And they were fundamentally getting in the way of us having an honest, forthright relationship. I too had issues in my avoidance inventory that I was not willing to broach with her. And I like to think that our marriage failed not because we fell out of love, but, but because we, fail, we fell out of sync. And we fell out of sync because we weren't able to tell each other the truth. The ability to tell one another how you feel, what you want, what you desire, what you need, what you value, what you don't value, what you dislike, what you disapprove of, what you love, what you hate, what makes you upset, what makes you happy, what bothers you about the other person. All of these things are essential capacities to bridge for real understanding. And I believe that the majority of marriages today are not based on the truth. That that list that I just reeled off is not realized by the vast majority of couples today. The truth takes courage, as I said. It also takes something else, and that is the ability to actually understand the truth, to understand how you feel, to understand what you want, to understand what you fear, to understand what you dislike. And that is hard. You know, we don't wake up 
one morning with absolute clarity of who we are, how we are, what we want, what we need, what we feel, what we, what we deserve. We don't know. And you don't know until you do the hard work of introspection, of contemplation, of thinking and observing and writing down who it is you actually are. I also believe in terms of people understanding who they are, there's another sort of structural issue in all this. And I've said before that there are three kinds of marriages, two work and one doesn't. The first is a marriage where both people are seekers. Both people are curious about who they are and they're curious about who they want to become and how they want to evolve and how they want to develop personally and professionally and the kind of person they aspire to be in the future and the kind of life they want to live. And they recognize that growth and learning are critical to that realization. Both people are that way. Those marriages can work. The other one that works is the exact opposite where both people are not seekers. Both people are not interested in growth. Both people are content with who they are and how they are and the way it is. That's not better or worse than the seeker scenario. It's just different. But because they are the same way in terms of their orientation to change, orientation to growth, they are effectively aligned. And the chances of that kind of marriage succeeding I use that term in quotation marks, I think are pretty good. The structure that fails, I think time and time again, is the structure where one person is a seeker and the other person is not. Where one person is embracing the hard journey of self-development and the other person eschews that journey and embraces the easy version instead. And you hear a lot about marriages that fail after the kids leave for college or maybe the kids have graduated from college and one of the people kind of wakes up and says, I want to do something more with my life. I want to be different. And the other person says, I don't understand. I think it's just fine. And those are the ones that tend to, I think, break apart. So fundamentally, I think marriages tend to fail, not because people fall out of love, but because one or both parties are not willing to do the hard work. We tend to opt for easy as an avoidance, as in denial, and on occasion affairs. The problem really is that easy doesn't actually solve the problem. And I would argue that taking the easy route actually makes the whole thing harder. A second big topic in our lives for many of us, not all of us, but for many of us is parenting. Having a kid is remarkably easy. You could argue too easy. Developing that kid is really hard because in order to do that, we have to embrace our role as parents, as teachers 24 seven, and to accept that we actually don't know what we need to know to teach our kids. It's again, it's not, it's not immaculate conception where we wake up some morning and we're like, Oh, I know exactly how to develop my child. I mean, think about all the teachers out there and how much education they have received to become effective teachers. And we are, we are put in a role of teaching with virtually zero education, zero preparation. So all that means is if you take your, your job as a parent seriously, that we have to study. We have to read. We have to 
We have to work with other people. We have to, we have to partner. We have to collaborate. We have to think. And all that is really hard. You know, parenting requires hard conversations with partners, with grandparents, teachers, and even friends regarding what we're after for our kids and what their contributions to that set of desired outcomes might need to be. Those direct conversations with your parent, your own parents about what you want for your child will be hard because they carry fear. Oddly enough, like our capacity to talk to our parents about their role, their explicit role in developing our child is not a comfortable or familiar thing, but it's an important thing. But many of us, because of the fear, because of the discomfort, choose not to have that conversation. We don't even choose to have the conversation with our own partner. So the vast majority of children are being raised without, call it developmental agreement by their parents, without clarity of intention. Another talk I've given, Power of Intention, relates to this. Without parents committing to their role as teacher. Another hard part of parenting, which I'm experiencing right now, is dealing with a child who is not, call it conforming to expectations, and how you, how you manage that. And I, again, I think fear and sacrifice are sort of components of it in the sense of confrontation uh, involves fear for sure, requires courage to get over that fear, communicating to somebody you love that what they're doing is not exactly the right thing. The, you know, I think part of the fear is fear of rejection, that they won't accept or agree, or they might even walk away from you, re- reject you, disown you, kind of in reverse. And the sacrifice is, is the willingness to feel the discomfort and the recognition that it's important, that your own discomfort is less important than helping your child find their way through, through whatever issue it is they're facing. A third area, which is really sort of crosses many different kinds of areas, is the, the issue of intimacy. Intimacy with self, intimacy with loved ones, intimacy with family, intimacy with friends, intimacy with strangers. It's all really, really hard. And the reason why it's hard is because it's sort of, it's sort of like the parenting point. We fear rejection. And I've said before, and I wrote about this in my book, This Is It, the, the funny thing about intimacy is it's actually easier to be intimate with strangers than it is to be intimate with our own family. And, and you and I both know that most families are not particularly intimate. Most families are not honest, are not open with each other. And there are always these weird dynamics and unwritten rules, which is a talk I'm, I'm working on, that are really getting in the way of true connection. Intimacy is one of the hardest things to realize, and it's also the most critical thing to realize. And so many of us avoid it any way we can. Emotional intimacy, spiritual intimacy, physical intimacy, it all reflects a willingness or unwillingness to share our truth, our desires, our needs without fear of retribution, and as I said, rejection. So again, we choose the easy path. We don't declare, we don't ask, we don't speak, we don't, we don't, we don't open our hearts, we, we hold back. We suppress, we push our true feelings away, and we pretend that everything is just fine between us. Instead of actually getting closer, we get further apart, and it's all because easy is not hard. On the professional front, we do the same stuff. For the managers out there, the easy, hard choice is front and center. 
if you really care about developing people, you have to pick the hard path. Just like a parent, it's a path that involves constant, honest communication that requires you really spelling out expectations, holding your employees to them, and also helping them meet those expectations. Teaching them, developing them, challenging them, celebrating them, all as a means of watching them grow. And all of what I just said are effectively actions fraught with fear. In the talks that I've given over the years about management, I explain that being a great manager is actually a second job that parallels your functional responsibilities. And having a second job is really, really hard. It takes sacrifice. Another one, being a citizen. So I'm writing another book, Technology is Dead, and it's all about the state of the country and the state of the world. And and I'm on chapter eight, which is about division and and the division that we have, the polarization, the partisanship, and the importance of, of somehow finding a way back together. And my belief is, while we can wait for leaders to show up to put us back together, I actually think this time around, it's up to us as individuals. And so the question is, how do we approach our role as citizens? Do we take the easy path or the hard path? The easy path is we vote. And the way most people vote is they wait until voting day. This year we'll be mailing them in. But they they check off the boxes, more often than not based on party affiliation, sometimes based on which names they prefer. In in the regular voting world, when you actually have to go to the poll, 15% of votes are cast based on the last sign the person saw before they walked into the building. They're taking the easy path. The hard path is study. The hard path is examination. The hard path is participation, you know, knocking on doors, making calls. But at a minimum, it's reading and understanding the issues, understanding the policies your preferred politicians are proposing, and really trying to figure it out, trying to understand it as best as you can understand it. It's hard, but I think there's no time like today where we need to do that hard work. And then the last one, the last sort of area or, or topic is, is the idea of being a friend. Being a friend is easy. Being a great friend is hard. And you know, and I know that if we like lined up our friends right now, and one, one group was called the, the friends and the other group, group was called the real friends, that you, would, you know absolutely who would be in, in each group. And the reason why real friends, the friends you count that way, are who they are is because they've chosen the harder path. They've chosen to show you genuine interest, genuine care, genuine love. They've chosen to give to you without expectation of return. That's called sacrifice. They've chosen to tell you their truth about who they are and show interest in your truth, who you are. That's called taking on their fear. Fundamentally, I believe every aspect of our lives, professional or personal, parent, lover, doesn't matter. Every aspect of our lives can and should be looked at through this lens of easy versus hard. And if we're really honest with ourselves, which is hard, we'll realize that most really good things, most solutions to nagging problems, lie not at the end of easy, but at the end of hard, the land of taking on our fears and making real sacrifices. The stuff that's easy is akin to lip service. It feels right in the moment, but it's decidedly 
wrong in its capacity to produce improvements of any kind. Thanks for listening today. If you're in search of more opportunities to realize positive change in your life or work, and you find what I have to say helpful, you can always subscribe to my show, check out one of my new salons. There are weekly virtual gatherings of like-minded folks. You can read some of my writings or just listen to one of the talks that I've given around the world over the last couple of years. And you can do it all at chriscolbert.com. While you're there, make sure to sign up for my ongoing email updates. When you do, you'll receive a free copy of the first chapter of my about-to-be-published book, Technology is Dead. Again, it's all available at chriscolbert.com. Thanks again for listening today, and I look forward to connecting more in the days ahead.